Well, hey guys, thanks so much for tuning into the Harbor Teaching Podcast. We hope that the messages you will hear are both uplifting and challenging. And now, welcome to the Harbor. This is kind of a group of colonies that belonged to Great Britain. And uh, we were kind of just doing our thing. We were all hanging out and just just chilling. And, and then all of a sudden, Great Britain, they decided, like, we, we are going to really start to, like, put some serious taxes on you guys. And so they started taxing everything. They were taxing stamps, and they were taxing paper, and they were taxing tea. And so all of these things happened. You guys remember this from history class, and we're walking around, and they're explaining stuff, and just things were kind of heating up, and things were starting to get a little, little, people were starting to get a little frustrated about all the taxes until finally one day, they decided, like, you know what, we're getting taxed with tea. And so they went out, and they, like, took like the boxes of tea off the ships and threw it into the Boston Harbor. It was called the Boston Tea Party, which is a really cool name for something, no matter what you think about it. And finally, this, this war started called the American Revolution, where America, like we, we, we fought for like 10 years and got freedom from Great Britain and became like an independent uh, nation, right, of 13 states. And this is when they wrote the Declaration of Independence. This is when uh, Independence Day happened. There, there's all these things that happen, okay? So there's this idea that's kind of almost like um, in, ingrained into like our society, like as Americans of like this, this moment, at least, you know, for me, I remember being um, in, in history class and learning about this idea of the American Revolution. And then if you start studying pretty much every bit of history in the world, you discover that basically the, 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 this, this thing happens throughout history, which is that people decide, hey, like we don't like things the way they are. And so we decide that there's going to be a revolution that happens. And so two, two sides fight and whichever side wins, they kind of get to make the rules and move forward. And that's kind of how things happen pretty much everywhere. That's how every nation is the way that they are. And, and so that's, that's how it's done, and, and so th- this is what's so fascinating to me about Acts chapter 1, verse 6, and if you have been around here for the past couple of years, I've, I've said this verse a lot, and I really do think that it's super prevalent to our time, but in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, Jesus is about to go back to heaven, and his disciples gather around, and they say this, they say, they gathered around Jesus and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And so Jesus has died, he's risen again, and his disciples are together with him, and they are asking him, are you gonna start a revolution? Basically, like, are you our George Washington or our Benjamin Franklin, the person that's gonna kind of start this thing off and we can overthrow the Roman rule and we can kind of be a nation again? And Jesus, he says this, he says this really fascinating thing in verse seven. He said, it is not for you to know the times or the dates that the father has set by his own authority. So in other words, Jesus is saying, one day I will be king of this world. And on that day, Jesus will right every single wrong. Jesus will not rule in, 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 in sin or in pride or with oppression like every other nation rules, but Jesus will actually rule the, the way that he has designed things to be, 
with righteousness and with peace and with joy. And Jesus, he actually says that this is how things are going to be under my kingdom, but that's not going to happen right now. And he says this in verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so what Jesus, he says is that there will be a moment when he actually comes down and physically establishes his kingdom. But until that moment, we are called to be his witnesses. Now, what, what is a witness? Oh, a witness is someone that actually represents the person that they've seen. And so Jesus is saying, the way that you are to conduct yourselves is that you should do whatever you saw me do, and you should say whatever you saw me say. And so in this last chapter of the We Are the Resistance series, I wanna share a message with us titled, A Resistance of Love a resistance of love. We've talked about the fact that we need to be a resistance of attention, that what we do is we focus our attention on Jesus in a world that is bombarding us with distraction. We've talked about last week that we fight a resistance of formation, that so often when people try to change the world, they try to change what's on the outside, but we fight by first off asking Jesus to change us and transform what is on the inside. And then finally, now we're looking at it and we're saying we are going to fight a resistance of love, that we are going to go out into the world and we are going to step into society, but we're going to do it not the way that the world does it. We're going to do it the way Jesus does it. And so as disciples of Jesus... We are called to do this. And, and here's the reason. Guys, you guys can just cut that. We, we don't have to, to, to keep working on it because it's just going to be distracting to have it be popping up all the time. So let's just, let's just cut it. The, the reason that we need to do this, and, and this is the big idea, I'll try to share it slowly with us, is that the gospel tells us that God loves us. And then the gospel compels us to love the world. Okay, so, so it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14, it says Christ's love compels us. And so what, what we see here is that in the gospel, God shows us two things. The, the first thing that God shows us is that we can't earn our way to God, that God is incredibly holy and that his standard is incredibly high. And that no matter how hard you and no matter how hard I try, like I'm not going to make it to God's righteous standard. And, and I cannot save myself. And so that's the first thing that the gospel shows us. The second thing, though, that the gospel shows us is that God loves us so much that he made a way to us. That God loves us so much that he made a way to us. Because we couldn't earn it, we couldn't do it on our own, but the gospel says, you know what? God, through Jesus dying on the cross, he paved a way. And so when I understand that, and when I'm like, man, God, 
I don't deserve any of this. That's when we realize, man, you loved me so much that you made a way. And then that's also when I recognize, okay, if God loved me when, when I didn't deserve it, that then I should turn around and love other people even when they don't deserve it. And so this is what Dr. Timothy Keller says. He says, when the Spirit enables us to understand what Christ has done for us, the result is a life poured out in deeds of justice and compassion for the poor. And I was thinking about this this week, actually, because this week I had the thing pop up on my phone that was like, you're out of storage on your phone. Anyone relate to this, this fact? Yeah, I have 10,000 pictures of my son Isaiah on the phone, and apparently you can't just take unlimited. And, and so, man, I, it was popping up, and I was like, all right, well, I'm clearly not deleting any of the Isaiah pictures, so i got to figure out some other stuff. And so I had to scroll all the way back to, like, 2013 when my phone started saving pictures. And I, I just started remembering, even over the past three, four, five, six years, you ever do that and you kind of ha- remember, like, the mindset that you were in four or five or six years ago? And it's a good way to be depressed about yourself, to be honest. You know, that's, like, really what I discovered. Like, man, I, um, I hope I-, I was just really sad back then. You know, that's, that's what I realized. But, like, I, I-, I think sometimes, like, I- at least me, I don't know about you, but, like, I, I can oftentimes kind of start to like feel myself and be like, man, like I'm doing pretty good. I'm pretty awesome. I'm amazing. And then like I look back at a few years ago and I just realize like, man, anything that I'm doing right now that is good, like it's not because like I had it all figured out back then. And so like I just built myself up like really crafty to this point. It's like, man, the reason I have anything that I have, whether it's like, being married or having a son or, or like having a, a relationship with God, like the reason any good gift that I have is just simply because of God's grace. Because the fact that he literally is kind to me. Like I don't deserve anything that I have. It's the same with you. It's like whatever God has given you that is a good and beautiful gift, it's because God just is so kind to you and so kind to me. And so because of that, when I realize that, when I realize, man, I get to have a relationship with Jesus right now, that's because God is kind to me, the only reason. And when I realize that, I say, okay, I can't just keep this to myself. I must go into the world and I must love the world. So we must be a resistance of love. Now, how do we love? I wanna really talk about two things tonight. First off, I wanna talk about how we love. And secondly, I want to talk about who we love. And there's three ways that I believe we are called to love as followers of Christ. The first way is we are called to love with our words. As followers of Jesus, we love with our words. And we honestly see this a lot. And I think a lot of times when we think about what are we supposed to do as followers of Jesus, we think about words, right? We think about, I'm going to go out and I'm going to preach the gospel. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to encourage someone. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to tell somebody about Jesus. I'm going to go out, and I'm going to share a Bible verse with my community group, even as Emma shared tonight. There's this idea that, man, in our community group, we get together, and we share words about God. 
And this is actually a good thing. Uh, we, we read in Matthew chapter four that Jesus, he preached and he said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. So a big part of the life of Jesus was that he was a preacher, that he used his words to talk about God. And we are called to do the same thing. So if you want to love with your words, here's a few examples of how you could do it. You could teach the Bible, either in a formal setting or around a coffee table or in a community group with friends. You could share your testimony. You could look for a way to encourage someone tonight and speak a word of kindness to them. You could pray for someone. You could say, man, God's called me to be a disciple maker, to help people follow him. These are ways that we love with our words. But number two, the second way that we love is we love with our deeds. We love with our deeds, or another way to say it is we love with our actions. Over the past couple of years, one of the things that I have observed about the churches, at least the church in, in, in America, is that we tend to very much center around words. We do a lot of things around words. We come to church, we sing words, we talk about words, we go to Bible study, we do more words, we pray. There, there's a lot of words, which again, words is a beautiful way to love people, but sometimes we forget that we are also called to love with our deed, to love with our actions. This is what it says about Jesus in Acts chapter 1. He, 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 in, in Acts, Luke is writing, and he's writing a description of Jesus, and he says that in my first book, I wrote about everything that Jesus began to do and teach. So he says, Jesus, he was a man that was powerful with his words, and he did many miracles as well. He showed his love. And when you look at Jesus, when you look at his life, what you see is that Jesus spoke and preached and taught to many and that Jesus brought healing with his actions. He did miracles. He, he, he showed compassion to the poor. He did things with his works and with his deeds that brought justice to those who needed it. Jesus, he actually chose to be a man of action, not just a man of words, and we are called to do this as well. Now, our deeds, meaning giving our time, giving our energy, giving our money and our resources, our goal is we wanna bring healing to people and we wanna bring hope to people in the name of Jesus. And so again, this could look like something that is very minor, that doesn't take a lot of time. Like, man, I'm going to grab coffee with someone this week, and I'm going to buy coffee for them, and I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to listen to them and, and just express God's love to them. It also could look like something incredibly important. We have people in our church who adopt and who foster. This is a deed of literally laying down and giving much of your life in order to help someone in need. So we love with our deeds. And the last way that we love, if you're taking notes, is we love self-sacrificially. We love self-sacrificially. And I think it's so important for us to grasp this because the, the reality is what we are called to as Christians, what we are asked to do is actually very costly. Like, and I, and I was thinking about this, and it's, it's kind of hard sometimes to, to balance this. Because God, like, he, he extends his grace to us freely. 
Like he loves us unconditionally. And when we walk into the gospel, it's not like God's like, you have to do all these things in order to earn my love. No, God says, look, I'm gonna save you based on just what Jesus has done and your faith alone, not because you've done a lot of stuff. And so we never wanna get it backwards where we're like, man, if I, if I don't go out and do all of these things, then God's gonna love me. No, God already loved you. He loved you before the foundation of the world. But Jesus also, he said, man, if you're gonna follow me, you must take up your cross and die to yourself daily. And so as followers of Jesus, we, we have to remember and we have to realize and we have to understand that it will be actually costly for us. What Jesus calls us into is costly. It's gonna ask us to sacrifice of ourselves, give of ourselves, to, to, to lay down what we want in order for someone else to experience the life of Jesus. And so we are called to love with our words, with our deeds, and we are called to love self-sacrificially. Now, the next question is, who do we love? And I wanna just share three different groups of people that we are called to love. The first one, again, if you're taking notes, you can write this down, is that Christians, we are called to love one another, to love one another. One of the most famous things Jesus said is love one another. He said, people will know you're my disciples if you love one another or by the way that you love one another. And this is something that Jesus, he actually repeated over and over and over again. In Matthew chapter 25, which is, uh, a, a moment where Jesus is talking about the end of the world. It's a very intense chapter. He gives this picture of a, a judgment. And, and it's actually called the great white throne judgment. It's where he separates people who are coming to him and are gonna be in heaven and separates people who are gonna be far away from him in hell. And it actually, on the surface, it, it actually looks like it's a works-based salvation. Because when people come to him, and he says, depart from me, for I never knew you. They, they said, Lord, like, wh why not? And he said, because when, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't take me in. When I was in jail, you didn't visit me. When I was naked, you didn't clothe me. And they said, man, Jesus, we never even saw you. How could we have done that? And he said, when you didn't do it for the least of my brethren, that is representative of the fact that you didn't do it for me. And then he invites those to come into the faith. He says, look, welcome into the joy of heaven, the joy of eternal life. And, and they say, Jesus, why do we even deserve this? Why, sh why are you letting me in? And he says, when I was hungry, you clothed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was in prison, you visited me. When I was naked, you clothed me. And they said, when did we do this, Jesus? We didn't even know you. And he says the same thing that if you even give a cup of water to the least of my brethren, the least of my disciples, it's as if you've given it for me. And so this does mean that any compassion we do for anyone in need, it's actually as if we're doing it for Jesus. But it more specifically means loving other Christians, and even more than that, loving 
ministry leaders who are in need or missionaries who are in need, like, like people who are genuinely uh, suffering for the sake of the gospel. I'm not talking about like a, a pastor of, of, of a big church. Like I'm talking about someone who is genuinely suffering for the gospel or really struggling for the gospel, like actually showing them love is showing Christ's love. And so Jesus, he talks about this. And so what we are to understand is that salvation is free. That, that Jesus simply by dying on the cross, he says, look, put your faith in me, put your trust in me. And it's grace is given to us for free. But when we receive that grace, that understanding of receiving that grace should cause us to say, now I'm gonna love those around me. I'm gonna love one another. I'm gonna look for opportunities to love and to serve. And so this could look like a lot of things. It could look like some of us in here saying, you know what, I really wanna take time to care for missionaries and to care for people overseas that, love, that, that, that need, and to, that, that are actually out there doing ministry. And so I'm gonna dedicate a day of the week, I'm gonna pray for them. I'm gonna write them a letter. I'm gonna support them financially. I'm gonna to try to encourage them in this very lonely calling that they're doing. That could be a practical way to do it. It could look like disciple making, saying I actually wanna come alongside of someone and help them to grow. I wanna meet with them. It could look like you being at the harbor and saying, man, the harbor is my church. The harbor is my spot. I love the harbor. I'm gonna look for people who are not connected and I'm gonna invite them to get connected. And I wanna take that burden on because I care about them deeply. And I'm gonna pursue someone and I'm gonna say, hey, why don't you come out afterwards? Why don't you come to my community group? It's actually saying, I wanna show love with my actions. So first off, we love one another. Secondly, hey, Brooke, hey, Brooke, I, I need you to either sit down or go out, okay? You gotta either sit down or go out, please. Okay, find a seat. Second, we, secondly, we are called to love one another and we are called to love our enemies. We're called to love our enemies. Matthew chapter five says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, a beautiful example of this is Jesus himself. Because Jesus, he actually had enemies who literally killed him. And while he was hanging on the cross, he, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus, like, like God himself, he sent Jesus knowing that Jesus was going to be rejected by many, but he still sent him to the whole world. And so God loves his enemies. And Jesus, he says, look, if people hate me as Christians, they're gonna hate you. If people hate me as Christians, they're gonna hate you. This doesn't mean that we are huge jerks to everyone. And then they're like, yeah, see, everybody hates me, like Jesus said. It's not what we're called to. But Jesus said, just by living out the life that we live, you're, you're gonna have people that, that hate you and that don't like you. And we are called to say, you know what? I'm not into revenge. I'm actually into serving you and loving you. And so practically speaking, if, if a coworker laughs at you for being a Christian or just thinks that they don't like you, 
even if it's not just for being a Christian, you think of like, man, I'm going to find a way to show kindness to them. It could look like, man, if someone criticizes you for your faith, you say, man, how in the world can I figure out a way to serve them? And we got to admit, like, this is different than the way our brains are naturally wired. Am I right? Like, this is different. Like, I was thinking about this and I realized like one of the things that I really believe like God is like trying to work on me on is like, like if someone like does something that they shouldn't do, like, like in traffic, like I literally take personal offense to it. Um, And I'm just going to be honest with that. And Katie, like she's tells me like, Brian, you're like preaching like now, like more visibly, like you can't do that because it's going to be like someone who goes to this church and you're going to be like, on the horn so hard on them. And I'm like, look, babe, the the horn is there to be your offensive weapon, you know? That's why they put a horn there. It's only our pathetic Western culture that says it's not cool to lay on it, okay? Other places in the world, they use that thing so much. I'm like, she's like, you can't do it. Like, we'll agree to disagree. It's just like, you know. But like literally, that's that's honestly how I feel. And, And so like if, that, that's just that natural reaction. Like if we feel like we've been offended, if we feel like, man, somebody is coming at us, like the natural thing that we do is we're like, I'm gonna go with them. If they hurt me, I'm gonna hurt them back twice as much. And, and that's what we wanna do. But what Jesus says is, man, that's not what my followers do. My followers, when someone hurts them, they actually demonstrate that they're my followers by showing love. And so maybe there are people in here who would say, yeah, Brian, like I have been made fun of or have been criticized or have been thought of as less for my faith. And the reality is Jesus said we should expect it, but that that's actually an offensive tool that we can use because when we are criticized, when we are ridiculed, we get to go show love. And, and honestly, I'll just be real. What, what I am afraid of is that oftentimes, and I'm not trying to pick on anyone in this room, but oftentimes we as the church, we're almost too afraid of offending anybody. And so we don't even come out and talk about our faith. So we don't even have an opportunity to get persecuted really. And, and so what we got to do sometimes is be a little bit more bold and a little more upfront, but using that as an opportunity to say, you know what, I'm going to talk about Jesus. I'm going to be open with my faith And I'm going to use that as an opportunity is when I get criticized, I'm going to show love. So we're called to love our enemies. And then thirdly, we are called to love our neighbor. Now, this is where you can turn with me to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We're called to love our neighbor. And I'll be quick as we move through this point. But Jesus, he talks about the idea that we should love our neighbor as ourselves. Now, we can look at our neighbor as a couple different things. First off, we can look at our neighbor as our actual neighbor. And did you know that God strategically places every single person in the world? And so the people that are your roommates at college, the people that are in your neighborhood, the people that are in your apartment complex, the people that are sitting next to you in your cubicles or in your offices at work, the people that are in your classrooms, like God put them there because he, it says in Acts 17, God put everyone where they are so that they might reach out and seek him and find him. And so if you're a Christian, God put you there as well. And he's hoping and he's saying, hey, my plan is that you would show my love to everybody that's around you. 
And so your neighbor actually can mean your neighbor. You can, you, like sometimes we overthink it and we over-spiritualize it. Like, who's my neighbor? It's like, literally, you have neighbors, you know, unless you live like on an island. You know, you have neighbors. And so God has called you to love that person and take care of that person. But a neighbor can also mean someone who has a need that needs to be met. And this is where we're in Luke chapter 10. Look with me at verse 29. This lawyer, he asked Jesus a question. He said, Jesus, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And so he says, well, the lawyer, it says, seeking to justify himself. That's verse 29. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, and he said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. So this man is walking on a very treacherous road. It's a five or 10 mile journey. And he was attacked and beaten and left for dead. He's laying on the side of the road. That's the setup. And then in verse 31, it said, Jesus is telling this story. And he said, a priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. So the priest and the Levite, these are the most respected religious leaders. And they ignore him. They're like, ah, I don't have time. And then look what happens, verse 34. It says that, oh, sorry, look at, look at verse 33, that even though the priest and the Levite left, the Samaritan, which we know if we grew up in church, the Samaritans were hated, they, this man, saw the man and he took pity on him. And then verse 34, it says, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, that's two days wages, whatever you make in one day, twice that much, and gave them to the innkeeper. And he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense. Which of these three, Jesus said, do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus replied, you go and do likewise. So the idea is that Jesus says, yes, your neighbors are the people who live around you. But Jesus also says that the neighbor is when you see someone who needs help, that's your neighbor. And you say, I want to take pity on him. And I want to have compassion and love for them. And so what this means is, Notice that the man, he took care of his immediate needs and he set him up for success long-term. And so he does take care of the immediate physical needs, but he also says, I wanna make sure that you're not just good right now, but you're in safety and you have an opportunity to heal up and you have an opportunity to move forward in health and life. And so for us, loving our neighbor could look like actually taking the time to get to know the people in our apartment building, in our cubicles, in our, in, in our office spaces, in our classrooms. 
and actually saying, God, I believe you have called me to be where I'm at, not just to get a paycheck or to get an education or to hang out, but I've actually believe you've placed me where I'm at as a missionary. And I want to serve them by getting to know them, by looking to say, how can I meet their physical needs? And then using that as a bridge to tell them about Jesus. So it could look like just getting to know your actual neighbor. But it could also look like us saying, I want to look after the needs of the poor and the needy. And saying, I want to maybe do just something very simple, like buying someone who doesn't have a home a meal and sitting down and talking with them. Or or making a care package and giving it to someone who has need. That could be a very simple thing. But it could also look like something more intense, like trying to figure out, man, what what are some of the things that our community really, really needs and how can I figure out how to meet that need? It could look like volunteering at our after school ministry here at this church where we have a ton of kids coming over here on Friday afternoons who don't have a great home to go into. And we have an opportunity to love them. It could look like serving at New Life Mission where they take care of of homeless uh, women with their children and try to bring them into a place of dignity. It could look like getting involved in one of those places as well. But we are called to love our neighbor. Now, how do we serve? We serve with our words, with our deeds, and self-sacrificially. And who do we serve? We serve our neighbor, we serve one another, and we serve our enemy. Now, super quickly, as we close, I just want to share three quick thoughts with you. Because honestly, and I will admit this, that figuring out how to actually love well is a very hard thing. Like, do you guys agree with that? Like, like we can have deep, deep desires to love, but it actually is a hard thing to actually figure it out. And so there's just three thoughts that I want to share with you. The first thought is this, to start somewhere, to start somewhere. God is not calling any one of us in here to take care of all the problems in the world. He is God. We are not God. And God is not calling you to take care of probably most of the problems in the world. But he has uniquely gifted you and wired you to step into a specific place and demonstrate his love to that place. And so I wanna encourage you to start somewhere and ask God to direct you where to go. How can I show love? Each of us have things that we are uniquely wired and gifted to do, and we have an opportunity to step into those things. One of my favorite quotes, no one made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could only do a little. So do something, take a step. The second encouragement is to be interruptible, to be interruptible. Someone once said that if you look at Jesus's ministry, over 50% of his actual ministry happened just because he got interrupted by people. He's walking from one place to the other and he sees a need and he takes the time to meet the need. That this is convicting for me because I can be someone who schedules out my day a lot. I could be someone who's moving quickly from one place to the other, and I can look at interruptions as problems. But even the story of the Good Samaritan, I'm sure the Samaritan man wasn't like the triple A of the time, like looking for people who are beaten up. He had somewhere to go. But he paused and he said, I want to take the time to serve this person in need. And so you and I, we are called to be interruptible. In fact, 
famously, Jesus gave us a great commission and he said, go and make disciples. But some people have translated this, as you go, make disciples. So wherever you're going, wherever you're walking, wherever your feet is carrying you, that is an opportunity to make disciples. I heard someone say this week that a prayer that God will always pray is, God, show me someone that needs to encounter your love. And so if you pray that prayer and be interruptible, look for opportunities, I believe God will answer. And then the last thing I want to encourage us as far as showing love is invite along. Invite along. And what that means is there's already things that you are currently doing that God could be using as an avenue of ministry. Figure out what's already happening in your life and say, I don't need to add a bunch of other stuff. I just need to figure out how can I do what I'm already doing for the sake of ministry. If you're already coming here on Thursday nights, who can I invite along with me on Thursday nights? If you already like spike ball, who can I invite with me and use spike ball as an opportunity for the kingdom? If you already like video games, how can I creatively do the thing that I'm already doing for the sake of the gospel? If you're already going to a movie, if you're already watching the Super Bowl, how can you figure out how to do those things and say, there's got to be someone who needs to encounter the love of Jesus. Maybe they're here at the harbor and they don't have a community around them. Maybe they're far from God and, and, and they're, they're, they're out in my neighborhood or they're in my classroom or wherever it is. How can I invite them into this reality to show them God's love? Invite along. It's not often about trying to do something new, although we must take different steps of faith. It's also about saying, how can I invite people into what's already happening? So the idea is this, that we are called, because of the gospel, to be people of love. Let's pray. God, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for the reminder that you are on the throne that you love us. And God, we thank you for the reminder that you just deeply, deeply care for us, that you have saved us, but also you care for the world and you have called us into that. So God, we just wanna create space for you to speak. Lord, we ask that tonight as we have opportunity to to even worship you over the next few moments. We ask that you would just be speaking to us. And God, I do pray that, that we would not just be a people that love you in these walls, but that we would be a people that show your love outside of these walls with the way that we speak to each other, with the way we boldly talk about you, and with the way we love and serve our community. God, I ask that you would Give each person in here a next step, whether that would be figuring out a way to take a small demonstration of your love or figuring out a way to get connected in some formal serving area or figuring out a way to say, God, I know you've called me to something really big. I want to take that step towards it. But God, I pray that you would help us and I pray that you would lead us along the way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for spending time with us. If you'd like to know more about The Harbor, please follow us on Instagram at wearetheharbor. Also, if you need prayer, feel free to send us a DM. 
Otherwise, tune in next time.